You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Sometimes riders feel lost, unsure why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our riding into full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable riders to develop and grow, offering manuscript critiques and line edits through a mentoring editorial style. We also offer assistance on generating a rider's bio for your websites. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services, visit blackwolfeditorial.com. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me, whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. My son was in the Army back during Desert Storm, but even then he wanted an MBA. He looked at a dozen schools, but only one offered the online education and flexibility he needed while he was in a tent in Iraq. Grantham University. Turns out that Grantham's been delivering affordable, relevant college and advanced degrees for over 65 years. Heck, if they can deliver a quality education to a soldier in a tent overseas, think about the flexibility Grantham can offer you so you can earn your degree too. It doesn't matter how complicated or full your life is. If getting a degree is on your bucket list, you'll want to do what my son did. You'll want to call Grantham. Find out how easy it is to get started on your education so you can check that college degree off your bucket list. Call Grantham right now. 800-910-1370. That's 800-910-1370. Flexible. Affordable. Relevant. Call 800-910-1370. Okay, forest animals. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude. To be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. 
Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-783-0810 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-783-0810. Again, that's 800-783-0810. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. The world around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science. But let's face it, sometimes the science can be so confusing that it takes a PhD to understand it. Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have a PhD. Come and take a seat. Perhaps I can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand. Welcome to Conversations in Science. I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore. Call me Doc. Hey, guys! Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new episode of Conversations in Science. I am so, so sorry for all of my faithful fans that we didn't have a new episode for June for 2018. Let's face it, we had a few hiccups. There were quite a few hiccups. One of them, I lost my voice. To give you an idea, Hi guys, just for laughs. It's Dr. Judy Elmore yeah. here, or should I say, Dr. Squeaky. Yeah, you got it. I've lost my voice. And trust me, this was much better than what it was a couple of days ago when I couldn't even get any volume out. It was just a whisper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was basically what I had. And I was really, really pushing, trying to get that voice out. And it was just not a happening thing. And then, and then, Jesse, my producer had to go and move. Yep. I moved from (laughs) one military base to another. And if you've never moved with the military, let's just say it's an experience. They actually packed a bag of trash this time. (laughs) They actually packed a bag of trash. Oh, no. (laughs) Thankfully, it was trash out of my office, so it was mostly show prep papers, and there was nothing stinky in it. I think there was one used paper plate and about 15, 20 pages of show prep and a plastic fork. Yeah, and then, of course, you had the casualty. Your microphone was a casualty of this move as well, and it was just a disaster. Oh, yes. My microphone went crash, bang, 
boom. It made it all the way to the new base. And then someone was helping me read, husband, was helping me set up at least a temporary office. Thankfully, my office is now almost finished in the permanent state. And he unscrewed the part of the arm that attaches to my desk that holds the microphone on, not realizing that that meant the microphone was going to go crash. Thankfully, I got a new one very quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So this is going to be, it was just an absolute disaster, one thing after another. And we are so, so sorry. So we're going to do the best we can to make it up to our fans at some point. Hopefully. (laughs) But that's okay. Right. So for those of you who are new to the show, the way that this works is Jessie, my producer, does the best she can to make sure that I don't go to technobabbly because I'm sorry, I'm a scientist. And a scientist do sometimes get a little bit too technical. But that's okay. That's how it works. We do these things. A little. Sometimes you guys might as well be speaking a foreign language, Doc. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I will gladly admit that. And it gets really entertaining around my dinner table as well, because you have myself, my husband, and my son, who is nearly 17 years of age. And all three of us are very technical, very scientific-minded. And then there's my daughter, 13-year-old, just started high school. And yeah, she's the art, artistic one in the family. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, over half the time. (laughs) So she is lost at the dinner table frequently, just like I would be if I didn't butt in and go, wait, 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 stop, rewind, explain. (laughs) Okay, so today I thought we would talk about something that's just a little bit more interesting about various different things, all associated with what are we going to have to do about going into space? Well, we already go into space, Doc, but just to the space station, and we've been to the moon. So are you talking about that mission to Mars, or what are you talking about? I'm actually talking about the whole gambit. It turns out that in December last year, President Trump had actually signed a new space policy, which will dictate how NASA does things from now on. And part of that policy was actually wanting us to get human beings out into space beyond the moon and possibly beyond our solar system. So that means we need to go back to the moon. That means we need to be looking at going to Mars. It means we're looking at going into the outer the outer solar system, into these planets that are and moons that are well beyond the asteroid belt. It means a lot of things. But this is not going to be a simple task. We can't just get into our car and go for a Sunday drive. It's not going to be like that. There are so many things we have to think about. And I actually am one of those that I strongly believe that the technologies that we are developing to get us into space and to get us into these human explorations that are going beyond the moon, I actually think they are going to help us here on Earth as well. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about some of the things that we need to do and how we look at them and and where that technology is sitting at today, as well as what do we still need to do? So the question comes down to, where do we start? Well, wait a minute. I got a question. What about people like Richard Branson who are doing these 
trying to commercialize this and wanting to like sell tickets to space and things like that, how can they even claim something like that with all this chaos? Well, in terms of Richard Branson wanting to do the selling the tickets to space, his tickets are basically looking at doing aircraft shuttles into the lower orbits. You're not leaving Earth's atmosphere. So you're going up, hanging out for a little while and coming back down. Pretty much. And dare I say it, if I ever got a chance to go on the NASA plane that they use as the trainer that does the hyper, let me see if I can get my tongue back into place, hyperbolic trajectory. Basically, it's affectionately known as the vomit comet because what it does is that while it's doing these maneuvers of going up and down, it creates a zero G environment that for a moment you are floating around and not actually touching the space. And even Stephen Hawking got a ride on the Vomit Comet. I know. And it was so awesome to see those videos. And there are so many, there's some really good ones that are for, um, they were doing it with Mythbusters. They used this plane to do, they were testing some of the theories about uh, the lunar landings and, and the walk that you get on the moon with the, the lower gravity that you have. So they weren't going for zero G in that particular episode, but they were going for still a lesser gravity than what we have on earth. But even it, even then you got a real feel of what it was really like on these planes. And that's so awesome. I would love to have gone on that plane, but I probably would have been one of the ones that yes, wonderful projectiles would have gone multiple directions possibly, but it's okay. (laughs) Well, that's why you eat very lightly or don't eat at all before you ride it. Exactly. And, uh, but they, but that's part of the training. All NASA um, astronauts that are going into space do at least some of the training on that thing because you have to learn how to move. You can't – moving in a zero-G environment is completely different to what we would expect it to be. Even if you're swimming in the ocean, you still have gravity that's holding you there. So understanding how things move and all that sort of thing is completely different. You have to – go through that that motion of learning it. But that's only part of it. I mean, training to go into space is is just part of the equation. Okay. And so what else are we looking at besides training to go in? Well, we're also looking about supplies. Okay. This is a current conundrum that the International Space Station has because when they send astronauts up there, when they send the new crews up there, they only have a limited amount of space in the rockets to actually send people up and and just bring people down. There's only a limited amount of space. So we're sending astronauts up into space for an entire year, but they don't have all the supplies they need to survive an entire year. They only have a fraction of what they need for a small little amount. And that's it. What the Russians have done to help with this situation is that on a regular basis, they use what they call the progress missions. And these progress missions, it's basically a disposable spacecraft that they send up to the International Space Station that the astronauts can board and do things so they can use it um, to get rid of some stuff and, and help move space onto it. And some other bits and pieces. So an but experiment like they're a, done with or something they might put onto this progress ship. 
Yeah, if they're done with it and they don't need it anymore, or dare I say it, it's actual waste that they're not, they want to get rid of off the space station, they can actually put it onto this spacecraft because when it comes in, it's designed such that when it re-enters into the Earth's atmosphere, it burns up. It's gone. Okay, well, that's, I guess, one way to get rid of your trash. Too bad we can't shoot all our trash into space and have it burn up on re-entry. Yeah, I don't think we really want to be doing that, though, on a regular basis, because you consider the amount of trash that the human race actually produces on a regular basis. Everything that we're sending that burns up into the atmosphere actually becomes particles that are in the atmosphere. So we're still getting a significant amount of waste in the atmosphere, and I don't think we want all of our rubbish to go up there for that very reason. No, but... Could we shoot it into the sun and get rid of it? Uh, we could possibly do some of it. But again, I don't know if that's really what we want to be doing. It was just a Some thought. of it we could probably get away with. But all of it, I don't know if that's a good idea. But regardless, we have this, this supply mission, basically, that the Russians send up on a regular basis up to the International Space Station. To give you an idea, since 2016, they have had... 155 progress flight missions. That's a lot, Doc. They're, and every single one of them is resupplying the International Space Station with the supplies, the human beings, to get through. Well, they need the supplies. Now, what happens if one of those supply vehicles is late? Are they going to, like, starve to death or die if it's a couple days late? Or do they send them early enough that, if it, you know, because of weather here on Earth or something, they have to delay it? They'll be okay. I think they send enough in the supplies, in the supply runs, that they can survive, such that if one doesn't show up, because there has been in the last, you know, in the last seven years, there has been three failures where the shuttle didn't make it, where these uh, progress missions didn't make it to the International Space Station. They just didn't even get there. They burnt up, they destroyed, they did something. It just physically didn't happen. In those instances, I'm pretty sure that there was enough supplies on the previous run to help them get through. But they would have had to just rationalize, rational. Um, they would have had to ration everything to make it last that little bit longer. I suppose you can say this is a bit like um, military personnel who are in the middle of the desert and they get separated from their unit, they have a certain amount of supplies with them. They have to make it last. Or I was thinking even a military unit that isn't at a main base and they only have so much on hand at their little bibouacker encampment and their convoy can't make it right away. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to make it last. And that's what the International Space Station has been working towards is how do we make these supplies last just that little bit longer and some of the techniques that they are doing is they now actually reclaim as much of the water that they can and it goes through a reclamation plant to actually turn whatever it is that's water that's water waste turn it back into drinkable water well i was watching a video a while back about an astronaut washing her hair in space and she said even the water as it evaporates out of her hair as it dries because even though she was using no rinse shampoo she still used some water because she felt it gave her a better clean mm -hmm. that even that would be reclaimed by the system on the space station yep 
Yeah, and and these reclamation systems, we have them on Earth. We they have been known to be used in a variety of different emergency situations. They are designed to take liquid waste and to remove any and all components out of the water such that we now have water that's a drinkable water that we can happily use to sustain our lives. And that includes, dare I say it, urine. Ew, gross. It is a bit of a you gross thing. And I have to think about, you know, there must be a mental mindset that you have to actually just push yourself past. But hey, if this is what you've got to do to survive in space, this is what you got to do. That's just the way it is. I have a sneaky feeling you'd be willing to do it for a trip into space. (laughs) For a trip into space? Yeah, I will suck it up and I will do it. Um, something else that to me was just, when I discovered this, I was a bit, ew, I don't know about this, um, is cultured meat. You now can have, Wait it, a it's, it's been around. meat. Are we talking beef, yeah. chicken, pork, or all of the above? Beef, chicken, pork, and all of the above. Yeah. Okay. Basically, it's been around for about five years now. All right. What they do is they take cells from a cow or a chicken or a sheep or whatever, and then they artificially grow these cells in a lab and turn it into ground mints. Something that we can turn. Yeah. I don't think Bossy likes that. (laughs) It's something that you can do. To make hamburger patties, for example, you know, ground ground beef. Here we come. It's been grown in a lab again. <laughs> I'm not so sure about getting my beef out of a test tube, but I suppose transporting a whole herd of into space would be a lot harder than transporting all these chemicals from the lab and the cellular components. Yeah, uh, I think it definitely would be as well. And I have to admit, mentally. I'm not sure about this idea. I, I'm really not sure. But it is that it has been proven, say for the this cultured meat is already on the market. It is already out there for sale. People can already eat it. It's already there. Where so I can avoid it, duck. <laughs> it's actually a Dutch scientist who did this. So it's probably throughout the Netherlands that you can probably, in parts of Europe, that you can probably get it. And dare I say, there might be parts in the States where you can actually get them as well. Hopefully it's labeled as cultured meat and I will happily avoid. It should be labeled as cultured meat. And it's up to you if you want to avoid it. I have to admit, I'm not sure about it myself. But like you said, it definitely has this positive idea about how can you have food in space. I would probably try it once just so I could say, done it, and then (laughs) let's go back to Bossy and her friends. Thank you. You want to know what went through my mind, though, when I saw this? Oh, do tell. Do you remember the 1960s, 1970s science fiction film called Soylent Green? Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it. I managed to avoid watching it. (laughs) Because in the movie Soylent Green, they were talking about the cost of food and beef. And at one point, 
there was, I distinctly remember it because my parents always made this joke about it and we were always laughing how you, you bought a side of beef and this side of beef was literally the size of two hands. It was really tiny and they spent a hundred dollars on this side of beef. <laughs> it was like, that would not feed anybody. That's not a side of beef. That's a steak. Yeah, even $100 for a steak? I'm sorry. That's like, seriously? Yeah. And I have to admit, the only thing that went through my mind when I was looking at this, because they are also now looking at growing things like eggs and trying to figure out how to create um, the perfect scrambled eggs out of fungus. Okay, military already does powdered eggs, and I've been subjected to eating them i'll pass and one's made out of fungus no offense yuck could this be why ketchup was a very important staple in military life ketchup hot sauce barbecue sauce anything that will cover and doctor flavors literally in the field they take this ginormous ziploc type bag with powdered eggs in it they add hot water and then they Break up and crumble the eggs with their hands and pour it into a dish and serve it. (laughs) And you wonder why my care packages always include hot sauce or ketchup packets or all of the above. (laughs) All right. I'm going to put another science fiction reference in here because when I saw these articles coming out about this scrambled egg um, out of fungus and bacteria, and, and then, of course, it came across my feed about cultured beef and how they are really trying to push public opinion on cultured beef because they know that that's the number one stigma against it. The only thing that went through my mind was this episode of Star Trek DS9 where you had Cisco and this prisoner that he was with and they were talking about replicated food and how you're eating resequenced chicken. And how it just doesn't have the same taste as real chicken. (laughs) Well, I've got my own pop culture reference. It was an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation with Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And he wanted to make this one meal. And none of the ingredients were to come from the replicator. And so he literally managed to source all the ingredients and made it from scratch aboard the Enterprise. Because he said it just didn't taste right. Coming from the replicator. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I mean, it's going to be great to have this sort of technology at our hands, you know, replicator technology or this cultured beef or having to grow all this stuff. Because from the point of view of space travel, it means that we will have food. I we are not see, going to starve to death. I can see uses for it here on Earth, too. What about in, like, sub-Saharan Africa when there's a drought or a famine? Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly it. It means that we would have a means of feeding the population when we haven't had this means before. And there is definitely positives to this. But yeah, I, I'm sorry. I said the real thing. And I can tell I still you, like my beef. I still like a good steak or a good hamburger made from <laughs> rather than chemicals. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, I will actually agree with you there. I, I think real food is going to be on my list of yes, please. But if it means I get to go into space, I will suck it up 
and I will do what I have to do. Yeah? <laughs> if you get to go into space, you've got to arrange to record at least one episode from space. Yeah, that would be so cool. But I don't think that's going to happen. So that's okay, right? <laughs> Put it on the bucket list and we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, right, Jess. I'm looking at the time. Yeah, we're about time to pay those radio station bills. Yeah, okay. So we're going to take a very quick break, pay those radio station bills. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about what we need to do, where our technology is about traveling into space. And we're going to leave this food topic behind. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Sometimes riders feel lost, unsure why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our writing into full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable writers to develop and grow, offering manuscript critiques and line edits through a mentoring editorial style. We also offer assistance on generating a writer's bio for your websites. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services, visit blackwolfeditorial.com. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me, whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. My son was in the Army back during Desert Storm, but even then he wanted an MBA. He looked at a dozen schools, but only one offered the online education and flexibility he needed while he was in a tent in Iraq. Grantham University. Turns out that Grantham's been delivering affordable, relevant college and advanced degrees for over 65 years. Heck, if they can deliver a quality education to a soldier in a tent overseas, think about the flexibility Grantham can offer you so you can earn your degree too. It doesn't matter how complicated or full your life is. If getting a degree is on your bucket list, you'll want to do what my son did. You'll want to call Grantham. Find out how easy it is to get started on your education so you can check that college degree off your bucket list. Call Grantham right now. 800-910-1370. That's 800-910-1370. Flexible. Affordable. Relevant. Call 800-910-1370. Okay, forest animals. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude. To be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care. Not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-783-0810 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-783-0810. Again, that's 800-783-0810. We're back, and thanks, guys, for sticking around. We have been talking about space travel and what it's going to take for human beings to get into space. We were talking about water reclamation and how much water it actually will they'll get on the International Space Station and what they do. We were talking briefly about things like cultured hamburger and growing food from fungus and bacteria we were talking about so many other little things but we're going to leave food behind and the water because some of that is a mental hang-up but I want to talk about some of the other things that are going that we need to think about if we're going to do long-term space travel okay like what doc well let's think about the physical side of things this has been an area of research that NASA has been for years because it is a known issue that when astronauts go into space, they're in a zero-G environment, they lose muscle tone. They lose the ability to cope on Earth with the gravity that we have on our surface. And astronauts when they land when they come back into the earth and they land on earth they are weak they physically have lost the strength to stand they are weak they have been doing nasa's been doing some awesome research about this because they have to figure out a way for astronauts to keep as much muscle tone as possible is that why they now have a major problem is that why they now have treadmills on the space station where the astronauts can Velcro themselves in and things like that? That's exactly why they do it. And it is because you, your astronauts, they have to stay fit. They have to keep that muscle tone up. And if they don't, it's, it's major problems when they come back. On a long-term situation, like we're looking at sending human beings to Mars. So they're going to be in space for years we're not talking because this is not a it's not a just a pop in the car and just go drive around the countryside no that this is you're looking at 
close to 10, 20, maybe even 30 years that they're in space. Okay, so what are we going to do? Send teenagers? Yeah, well, see, there's the next question is what are we going to send in terms of age-wise? And that in itself has got some interesting questions, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But keeping that muscle tone is so important because if they land on the surface of anything, how are they going to cope and survive if they don't do that? And so, you know, science fiction has always proposed the idea of creating artificial gravity. So we have the ability to walk around and do the, do this sort of stuff on spaceships. That would be pretty awesome. And then there's a lot of different theories about how you can create artificial gravity. And one of them is to use what they call centrifugal force. So to explain that one, have you ever taken a bucket of water and spun it around? Yeah, to make a, like a funnel of water. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually yeah. done it with a glass so I could see the water. Yeah, and that's. Basically, what happens is is your force basically pushes everything out, and that's a centrifugal force. It will create an artificial gravity on a surface. There's a little microgravity in that glass that's pulling that water out to the side. And that's so that's one of the ways of actually creating artificial gravity in space. Um, but the speed in which you would actually have to rotate things to create gravity that what we have of earth yeah i think we'll go really really dizzy okay so we'd have a bunch of dizzy people who can't walk straight anymore <laughs> got it yeah no doesn't sound like a good idea doc keep working yeah okay but then you also have the question about radiation i know this this is one of the conspiracy theorist theories that is out there that you know, when you go outside of our Earth's atmosphere, you are no longer under the protection of what we have from the sun's radiation. The, the Earth layer. provides the Earth provides like a natural sunscreen to, or the atmosphere provides a natural sunscreen to the Earth's surface. You go outside the atmosphere, you are now exposed to 100% of that radiation. And so we have to think about what are we going to do to protect the astronauts as they are traveling from the Earth's surface out to Mars. Okay, well, don't the tiles and things on the ship protect them? Yes and no. And that's basically what they're doing. So they are looking into various different materials that they can use for the outer surface of the ships and as well as the inner surfaces. How can we protect astronauts from radiation? So there's a lot of research going into that. Yeah, because I don't think you could make a lead lined spacecraft fly yeah oh well i've seen a lead balloon fly so it is possible fast enough to leave the earth's orbit it is possible i just don't know if i'd want to do it you know because you're talking something that's like the lead balloon that i saw fly (laughs) mythbusters here we come they were testing you know can the lead balloon really fly and it was Basically, it was like sheets of aluminum foil, but it wasn't aluminum. It was actually lead, sheets of lead foil that they pieced together to create this balloon. It was a really cool, really cool episode. I bet. (laughs) But is that thickness of lead enough to create the shielding that you would need for the radiation? I don't know. I'd have to do the calculation, and it's been so long since I've done any of those sort of calculations, so I'm not going to do those calculations. But there are some other things that we would have to think about if you're traveling into space. Germs, for one. We don't know exactly how things like the common everyday flu or cold is going to mutate when it's 
exposed to a zero G environment. I do know that okay. they are doing experiments with the International Space Station astronauts because it is a closed system. They know that those astronauts are healthy going in there. What's going to happen if they're exposed to various different flu strains and you get this sort of thing. So they are looking into the genetics associated with various different germs and what happens there. There are so many different experiments that we are trying to understand because it's all about trying to understand our world and how is it going to affect us when we go and do long-term space programs. Yeah, because I could just see one person catching a cold on a space station, spaceship or in a closed environment. And suddenly everybody gets it, kind of like if the person with the flu gets on the airplane and you're on like a long flight, like a 12 or 6, you know, 12 or 18 hour flight. You get yeah, off and, and it suddenly spreads you're like sick. wildfire. Yeah. Wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, definitely not. Um, then you also have the issue of psychological health as well. Now, the reason why I say that one is because we human beings are social creatures. We are... Our psychological makeup is designed to be around others. We don't cope very well if we are 100% isolated for a very long period of time. I know a few people who actually would cope well like that, but they are the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Most people really do need social interaction. So when you're traveling, if we're going to travel beyond the moon communications with earth is going to be dramatically delayed so you're not going to get that one-on-one communication that's almost instantaneous that's not going to happen so you're saying skype won't work on the other side of the with outside the earth's atmosphere the way it does here on earth no it's not going to work i mean we're having this conversation sort of now and we are using a skype right now to actually record this episode because you're in the US and I'm in New Zealand and it's almost instantaneous. You ask a question and I respond back pretty much straight away. And it's the same way it works with the International Space Station because of the distances involved. You start going to the moon and it's a delay of about six to seven minutes. You get past that, that delay is going to get even further. You go out towards Jupiter and the delay is hours, if not months before you've seen okay uh i think ness is going to want faster communication than waiting for three months for word back if you landed okay <laughs> yes please <laughs> uh, but that's the thing you're not going to be able to have this instantaneous communication and as a consequence it's going to make you feel like you're isolated because you're not going to have that that one-on-one well, presumably you'll be in a crew and you'll be a- You'll probably be great friends by the time you get there. Or great enemies, depending on which way you want to go. <laughs> true, true. There'll probably be little cliques and little groups. There always are. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you basically, you will have that a family, basically, from your crew that you're with. And there are just so many aspects of that. You need social interaction. Then we think about Things like, what type of ship are we looking at? I got one for you before we get into that that goes back to social interaction. Game night in space. Yeah, the dice just aren't going to stay on the board. Yahtzee! Play Yahtzee in space! Oh yeah! (laughs) 
think we'd need the computer-generated random dice for that, but it could probably be done. <laughs> or for those who are D&D fans, can you imagine trying to roll a D20? <laughs> yeah, trying to roll and the dice floats off. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, that's where there's... The this- troll is about to come and get you. What do you do? Roll the dice to decide. Um, don't know. <laughs> There's a board game that has the dice within like this bubble. You push it down and it pops the dice around. I think it would have to be something like that where it could be Velcro to the table. Yeah, but I don't think that popper though would work very well because it wouldn't rest. It wouldn't come to rest. It would keep going oh, and going. You're right. Because there would be no forces acting on that that dice for it to come to rest. Okay, so back to my computer-generated dice rolling program. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be pretty much the only way that you can play things like Monopoly. <laughs> I could imagine trying to play, like, checkers or chess and keeping the pieces on the board. Can we say lots of Velcro? Uh, no, checkers and chess actually wouldn't be so bad. It's called magnets. Okay, magnets, Velcro, there'd have to be something. There would have to be something. And and I think they'd probably have a magnetized board. But, you know, anything that's going to have dice in it, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Whole new twist on family game night. <laughs> All right, now you can continue with what you were going on with. Well, family game night. Okay, so we were going to, uh, the next question is about how, what type of ships are we talking about? If we are going to be sending people outside of our solar system, then we are talking a journey that is going to take years upon years to get there. And so we are looking at how are you going to be able to survive to get to your final destination? Say you've got the food situation solved and you have the water situation solved. We have muscle tone and physical health solved. Okay. Okay. Say we have all of those restrictions solve the human being a human life is only so long that's it well there are a few flukes but the average i think is about 70 to 80 and how productive are they going to be if they're 80 years old when they get there exactly so there is really science fiction has actually already talked about this particular issue on various different topics and various different books there's really three different options that we have. We have one, which is would be known as a generation ship. And that's where you basically, you're sending up your family, if you will, and they are going to continue to reproduce and live life like you normally would here on Earth. And as a consequence, the generation that actually gets to the destination, that arrives at your destination is not going to be the same as the generation that left in the first place. Okay. So for some, it would be a one-way trip, if not for all. Yeah. Almost everyone, it would be a one-way trip. And the issue with that is that you will have evolution starting to play a role because you'll have children who are born in space and have never seen 
land, never experienced gravity. Unless, of course, we actually have artificial gravity on these ships. They won't have experienced, you know, the germs that we have on the Earth's atmosphere because they will have lived in this closed system for such a long time. And that in itself is an interesting question because what are you going to do? Are, are these children born in space going to be able to cope? We don't know. Okay. The, uh, not to get too technical, but labor in space. Yeah, I just don't even want to think about it. Um, ignorance is bliss. I've been through labor twice. And I honestly believe that memory has this wonderful way of conveniently forgetting things. Because if it didn't, I'm pretty sure that no human beings would be born. <laughs> yeah, but one quick question. Isn't labor partially dependent on gravity? Mm, no, you can actually. No, it's not really. I mean, that's the whole thing about concepts. We're totally getting off topic but for a little bit, but that's okay. But that's the concept of things like water births. You're actually removing the element of gravity from the birthing process. Um, okay. Well, at least minimizing it. Yeah. And okay. so, no, you don't, you don't need gravity for, for birthing. Okay. Now back to, so generational ships could be very intriguing. Um, generational what... ships is one of them. Another one would be cryostasis ships. The issue with the cryostasis ships is we have yet to actually perfect cryostasis. Okay, I don't want to be a crash test dummy for that one. Thanks. Yeah, no, definitely not. And if anybody has ever read or seen 2001 Space Odyssey, dare I say it, you know the issue with cryostasis ships. All it takes is Hal to get a little bit jealous and conveniently kill people. And what about uh Star Wars, where they put Hans, they froze Hans in something like a cryostasis. Yeah, in the carbonite. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> yes. These are all the things that science fiction has actually dealt with cryostasis ships and the issues associated with cryostasis for quite some time. We'll just carry on. <laughs> okay. The third type of ship, which is going to be an interesting beast in its own, would be what we call a genetic ship and that is basically where there are no human being on the ship so it is just who's flying this thing it'd be it'd be automated autopilot yeah that right there okay <laughs> continue basically you would have on these ships the genetic material that you would need to grow a human being in an artificial world. And how and long would this there. how long would this growth of this artificial human being take? Well, I don't know, because dare I say it, we haven't actually perfected artificial rooms yet. But we're getting close. The technology okay. for actually growing a animal in an artificial womb is being researched right now. We are looking at things like growing sheep and, and various different animals in artificial wombs. And part of that could eventually be growing humans in an artificial womb as well. This is all stuff that we are currently doing and that we currently have. We are looking at all of this. Do we want to go there? I don't know. That is a completely, completely different question. But if you're into science fiction, I would actually read Arthur C. Clarke's The Songs of a Distant Earth because it talked about the sociological aspect of dealing with a cryoship meeting up with a genetic ship 
it was definitely an interesting read talking about the two firms. But that's okay. And I'm sure right. since the cryo, sh- the genetic ship actually had, mem- you know, the genetic ship had no memory of the travel and neither did the cryo ship, but they actually at least remembered where they'd been. This would be a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, it was. And that was what the Songs of a Distant Earth was about, actually. It's because you had these cryo ships that were sent out. Earth was no longer viable to live on and they sent this cryo ship out. They lost contact with one of the cryo ships but it was going to another earth earth type planet but they thought it was still a viable planet so they sent a genetic ship the genetic ship gets there 200 years prior to the cryo ship okay and then the cryo ship lands not a little bit ahead of genetic ship a lot ahead of or the a genetic, lot ahead yeah the genetic ship uh, definitely was a lot ahead and it was ahead. interesting i actually thought it was a very good book and that was from arthur c clark now, of a distant Earth. why was the genetic ship or the 200 years ahead of the cryo ship? Okay. In that book, in that book, Songs of a Distant Earth, what Arthur C. Clarke had basically posed is that because you're dealing with genetic material and not actually living human beings, you can actually travel faster. Not only that, technology will change. Now, if I think about where is it really going, what are we really going to happen? The odds are when we humans finally do decide to explore the outer solar system and actually go beyond our solar system and into the other, the rest of the galaxy, you'll probably find that we'll send genetic ships, not um, not genetic ships, we'll send probably generation ships first because our technology won't actually be able to cope with the speed that we need to travel for these longer distances. But as we get more and more better engines and we start actually properly developing warp drive, maybe, don't know, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) then we can look at, you know, genetic ships and we can look at cryo ships. And but the idea that Arthur C. Clarke had posed is that because you didn't have living human beings on it, and because the technology was developed later, you were able to send the ship's faster trajectory without it injuring a human being. And that's why there was such a big time gap between the genetic ship and the, the cryostasis ship in that book. Okay, so there, but let's just, so wormholes and warp drives are best left to science fiction, at least at present. At least at present. We don't have an understanding of quantum physics, so I'm sorry, guys. Until we actually have that understanding, we probably need to just leave it to science. But something that we don't leave to science fiction, because we're looking at it now, power generation. Okay, yeah, that's important. We need power. Space is cold. Space is very, very cold. And I'm sorry, without power, we will freeze to death. We need warmth. Our systems would freeze to death. And we have already sent a solar-powered spaceship to space okay so this isn't science fiction we have sent a solar powered spaceship into space 100 percent solar power no 100 percent. no backup battery or anything i think there was a couple of backup batteries but it was designed to operate 100 percent off of solar power there is no nuclear power generation on it most of the spacecrafts that we had spent that we have already sent into space have been nuclear powered in some form Right. That includes the rovers that are on Mars. They are nuclear powered. But Juno 
which is the satellite that was sent on the long-term expedition to orbit Jupiter and actually study the upper atmosphere of Jupiter, was solar-powered. There is no nuclear generation on board. Wow. I didn't know that, Doc. I think we talked about Juno, but I don't remember it being solar-powered. But that's cool. I'm, Yeah, it's solar-powered. So we have these abilities for this power generation. And then if we want to talk about the power cells that Elon Musk is working on with Tesla and trying to create the, power, the electric car, he's looking at batteries in particular and actually improving how those batteries are charged and getting a better charge out of them. Didn't how close he, he send... is to that technology, I don't know. Didn't he send a Tesla car out into space somewhere? Yeah, we'll just talk about crazy later. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make sure I remembered that one correctly. He launched this car into space. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about crazy later. Um, But yeah, no, he's looking at power generation. He's looking at how you can take this technology and store more of the battery charge, getting a better conversion from solar getting better conversions from from other things, better charges, and a longer-lasting battery. He is making leaps and bounds in this field. The technology is there. We are getting there. It is all going to happen. Probably not in my lifetime, Doc. Yeah. Um, Well, here's the thing, actually. The first manned mission to Mars is slated for 2030. Well, I'll be around to see that, but when's it going to land on Mars? We might be around to see some of that. If we're still doing this show, that would be one heck of an episode. If we're still doing this show, it's going to be probably old creaky voices, but hey, you know, it's fine. But still, yeah, it's they're looking at going back to the moon and they're looking at going to Mars 2030. I got to say the back to the moon one's good. I'm really excites me. Mars excites me. And by the way, as far as old creaky voices go, there's filters for that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to those filters (laughs) because we're going to have to use that. (laughs) Okay, Jess, we are probably at an hour. Just about, Doc. Just about. All right, Jess, is there any questions you have about this? Well, it looks like the only one we currently have the technology to do right this minute would be the generational ship, correct? Yeah. And they'd have to have some kind of hydroponic garden or something. Or the ability to grow the food in the lab. So it would all be chemicalized or hydroponic-y. Yeah, probably. I don't think they're going to take dear sweet Bessie into space with them. I don't think she'd like going into space anyway. <laughs> right, Bessie? That sounded yeah. like no yeah. to me. That sounded definitely like a no to me. On that note, Jess, I think we call it done. Bye, Doc. Bye. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Conversations in Science. If that wasn't enough of a science jolt for you, well, you can catch old episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, and a whole range of other popular podcast locations. In the meantime, if you have a question about science and just want to know a little bit more, feel free to contact us at the station, and that's at science at klrnradio.com. Alternatively, you can contact me on Twitter, and that's at Judy L. Moore, or you can find me on Facebook, and that's 
Judy L. Moore, or you can drop me a line through my personal website, which is judylmore.com. I think you can see the pattern here. Meanwhile, my cohort over here. For anyone wanting to track me down, they can follow me on Twitter at Radio Host Jesse, or they can email me at the station at jesse at klrnradio.com. And they can always check out the books and authors I talk to at jessiescoffeeshop.com. Bye. Bye, guys.